working smarter, uh, less cost, that type of thing for our clients, but also with the ability to implement the bells and whistles of some of these new technologies. Welcome to Actualizing Success. In this podcast series, our in-house advisors discuss today's finance and technology topics with an emphasis on solutions that embrace tomorrow. Hey, good to have you on today, Jay. Just thinking about uh, where we've come from in the 24, it, it's really tough to imagine that as, as little as two years ago, we had mortgages that were between 2 and 3%. I, I know in my lifetime leading up to that, there's never been anything like it. And I've always said, you know, it, it'll never happen again. But when we look at where we are now, rates are easily in the six and seven percent range and and things have been things have been tough um, when you look at it a lot of the companies that were in the origination business especially those that sell servicing they they got really really happy with with those rates and um, were able to do quite a bit of business and and that's you know completely hit a brick wall uh, where I think, You've seen loan origination go way down as much as um, 80%. You you still haven't seen a lot of defaults, and I'm pretty sure that that that's going to remain stable. But, you know, as we talk about things this morning, just kind of want to get your feedback and input, and we'll chat a little bit about what we think. Um, So, you know, Jay, you you certainly – have an eye on the market, and I know you you keep track of it um, personally. But if you think about where we might go this year in twenty four, what are you what are you looking at in in terms of the economy, rates? How might the presidential election change things? Um, you know, let's see if you and I are on the same page or not. Well, thanks, Matt. Uh, with regards to rates, I believe the Fed hiking cycle is over. Yeah, that will leave the Fed funds rate on hold around five and a quarter, five and a half percent until the middle part of 2024, with expected cuts to bring down rates to like four percent, four and a half percent by the end of the year. Uh, with a with the trend uh, towards lower rates, I expect new home construction sales will continue to do well. But one of the changes is that I believe that the existing homeowners will be more likely to start entertaining a move as well. That hasn't been the case in 2023. With the two together, um, that obviously will increase the supply of homes for sale. And I believe it will lead to an uptick in loan originations and hopefully some market stability. With that said, I believe loan growth will be modest at best. Uh, looking back in 2023, uh, consumer spending my opinion, was stronger than expected, uh, fueling slight economic growth, but I expect it to slow in 2024 with a modest decrease in inflation throughout the year. With inflation and as high interest rates carried from 2023 to 2024, there's definite signs that the consumer spending seems to be slowing. Personal debt, um, I think you you talked about focus on some potential defaults ahead. Uh, personal debt, again, is growing with an increase of credit cards. Um, and it appears momentum in the job market is starting to wane with slowing payroll growth and modestly rising unemployment, as we've seen over the last few months. During the election year, who knows? Um, I expect the government spending will continue at a very high 2023 levels. 
Uh, but there could be some political pressure to reduce spending in our national debt from political uh, purposes at minimum. However, things could change very quickly uh, given the ongoing Russia-Ukraine war and conflict in the Middle East, all pointing to continued uncertainties and risk uh, throughout 2024. That's kind of where I see things going, Matt. Do you see Do you see anything different? Um, yeah, I mean, we're actually going to – I have some different thoughts. Um, but the thing that's funny is, is, right, I'm sure that, you know, you've taken a look at a lot of what the economists are saying. And we just had a had six inches of snow where I live. And, um, you know, they said, hey, one to three inches, maybe. And they were completely wrong. But just like economists, weathermen never really held to anything they say. People, people forget um, what the forecasts were after a while. I, th- I think it's interesting, the parallel between the two of them. Um, you know, you were talking about rates. And I think the Fed has been, been pretty coy in terms of announcing um, what they're going to do up till, you know, recently. And, and people were, were guessing. I mean, the, the, the markets anticipate certain movement. But again, the Fed didn't signal much until lately. And I'm not sure about the cuts. I'm just, I'm waiting to see how things go. I mean, the economy seems to be in a pretty good place. And you have inflation's Inflation is flattening. Um, I don't think there's going to be any any price movement downward that's not related to something like commodities or what have you. But um, but I'm not so sure about that. And and I'll give you some reasons why I have my thoughts. One thing I will say though is when you look at mortgage rates specifically, there has been a pretty decent spread between Treasury and mortgages, and a lot of that is caused by people that really do need a mortgage slash for whatever reason they decide they want to be a first time home buyer. And that's just what they're doing or folks that have to move for one reason or another, either to downsize, to relocate for work or whatever people are kind of stuck. And so I think that's why the spreads have been high, although they have started to soften a little bit, which kind of plays into some of your, conversation. But the one thing that you didn't mention, which I think is really important. So we're, you know, especially around where we are here in Northern Virginia, there have been um, some pretty good new housing starts and growth in that regard. Not not that case uh, around the U.S., but the big thing is there's no movement in existing housing stock. Very little supply is in the market. And a lot of what what happens nowadays is that things don't even make it to the MLS. They're they're gobbled up, and a lot of times they're bought by investors. And so, my opinion, until we see some of the housing supply start to become more available, and you start to see houses on the market for a while, I'm I'm not exactly buying the forecasting of rates going down a whole lot. And I think the other thing that's important in all of this is that you've got a whole group of people, maybe starting back in like 2007, 2008, that are just very used to rates being 
as low as they've been. And that's, it's highly unusual. I mean, the rates as they are today are historically fairly low in relation. I know I think my first mortgage that I had was at 10% or more, something like that. But again, I'm, I'm still going to be a little bit um, reluctant to see that things are going to move around a whole lot. And I think, you know, again, the, the pundits tend to, to tell people what they want to hear. In terms of the, in terms of the presidential election, I agree with you. Um, I think there's a lot of nervousness right now in terms of the way that people are looking at that. But again, the markets seem to be moving pretty well. Stock markets are either at or near all-time highs. So again, I I think we're we're kind of on the same page with some of it, but I'm still a little bit reluctant to see mortgages head back down into the the fours and fives. We'll see. You know, I think that's pretty much where I'm at. Yeah, you mentioned the stock market. Uh, one of the things that's kind of interesting is that a lot of the pundits, as you mentioned, they're factoring in, uh, I believe last I saw, like seven rate cuts throughout 2024. I think that's very far-fetched. Um, I think that if we see any rate cuts, it could probably be two or three, start, as I mentioned earlier, probably starting sometime uh, during the midsummer. But I don't see a lot of movement in that direction either, Matt. I think looking forward, um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the market uh, that we we um, focus on. Uh, what are what are the smart lenders and servicers doing now to prepare for the next rally? Well, I think that's a good question. I'm going to start out by saying what most of them are are not doing. Um, most of them are not uh, investing in the future. And what's what's really interesting is is as much as like. I guess 15 or 18 months ago, we heard a lot of our customers and potential customers talking about, yeah, well, we've got dry powder, we save money, we think we're going to spend, et cetera. And that kind of went out the window. I think people really didn't estimate just the sheer drop-off in in loan production. And so what I've seen is a, a large number of companies and when I say that, I mean pretty much the mid-tier to the large, really just, you know, trying to make sure they don't lose a ton of money. When you're running really hot, your your fixed costs remain somewhat the same. You can just manage the growth on variable costs slash labor. But when you when you look at what happened, it, it went back to where they were cut to the bone. So but there are a few that we've we've seen that are doing things differently. And and that that looks somewhat like this. A lot of folks are taking a step back and looking at how can I be more optimal in what I do so that when things turn around, I'm not caught off guard again. And a lot of times what happens is lenders see rates cut, uh, volume goes up, they hire frantically, and they... Um, you know, at that point, they're they're a month or two behind because they got to train the people. But some of the smarter companies are taking a look at how do you use technology as a way to manage those variable costs and augment what you do today. So, where I don't see tons of companies looking to do massive overhauls in terms of 
their core systems. What I do see is companies looking at more modern technologies to help optimize and manage some of the business process. And I also see the, the move to offshore some of the processes and um, and that may may end up being a long-term strategy. So, you know, we've seen companies try to leverage more RPA, um, understand better how to leverage uh, OCR slash document technologies. And, and again, I think, um, as I mentioned on terms of talent, trying to understand how people can do more things um, within in their shop as opposed to just one and only one set of tasks. And, and again, the offshore piece are, are, are there. Um, but, you know, there, there's a whole lot more to it, I think. And I know that you've been spending a lot of time thinking about this um, broadly. And we've done some business with some of our clients in innovation labs and, and looking at innovation. So, you know, I think where I mentioned a couple of things, I didn't, didn't elaborate a ton. I didn't get into the data pieces much. What are you thinking in terms of some of the technologies that are, that are going to be out there that the industry could use effectively? And if you think that any of them are fly by night or just, you know, it's a trend, you know, give, give me a little bit about that. What are you thinking in terms of what you see? Uh, I agree. We've done a lot of work in innovation labs and, you know, obviously it boils down to, you know, working smarter, uh, less cost, that type of thing for our clients, but also with the ability to implement the bells and whistles of some of these new technologies. I think within our client base and industry, there are many technologies being evaluated and implemented uh, to automate and streamline processes big focus on increasing data quality and analytics capabilities and utilize AI, obviously, to reduce costs and risk, both internal and external risk. Uh, I believe AI will continue to play a leading role within our client base and industry. For instance, AI's ability to categorize high-quality data that match specific patterns and with confidence provide actionable insights uh, for better decision-making capabilities only getting better. Uh, for lenders, this means they could possibly input data into an AI platform. It will tell them with a high degree of certainty what they should do next and the impacts on their business. Um, so in addition to AI, um, a lot of our clients and others in the industry are big supporters of low-code, no-code development platforms. You're seeing a lot of them being used. Uh, I know the marketing around those gets a little blurry, but uh, there's definitely – value there. Um, these platforms are like toolkits that IT developers and non-IT citizens developers, your end users, can use to build automated workflow without doing a ton of coding. The other uh, benefit is that these platforms also out of the box in many cases enable excellent integration capabilities with external data, other applications and technologies such as AI and Matt, you mentioned RPA as well. These platforms clearly have proven that they've expedited application development cycles and allowing uh, the companies to quickly adapt to changes in the market, which we've seen over the last uh, few years. Real quick, in terms of um, some of the companies, according to Gartner's 
2023 Magic Quadrant, some of the top players in the space are Mendix, OutSystems, Microsoft, Salesforce, ServiceNow, and Appian. I guess kind of looking forward in summary, as the industry moves forward uh, using automation, AI, and all these things to handle loans and other transactions more efficiently and cost-effectively, we just need to be careful that it's important to remember the human touch in all this uh, those moments where interactions, empathy, personalized service, um, especially when dealing with complex issues and building trust is required. So I think just looking forward, balancing the techno- technological advances that we're seeing in front of us today in the personal de- touch will definitely be a balancing act for many of our clients in the industry for, for several years to come. Matt, yeah. um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean... It's funny when you brought up some of the things about the human touch, I was reminded of the fact that I spoke at a panel in California last June about the topic. And um, and what's interesting is, is that, you know, California is, is very, very concerned about AI in relation to fair lending and, and so forth. Um, and so there was, there are a lot of folks at the conference that were talking about how AI could essentially do an entire mortgage and get rid of all the people and the decisions and all this and that. And of course these were, you know, people in FinTech talking, but at the same time, the woman who's in charge of essentially the CFPB equivalent in California raises her hand and says, well, but how, how are we supposed to make sure that these AI tools are based on fair lending and don't have human bias and, and all of that. And kind of put the brakes on the conversation a little bit because folks had to take a step back and think about why, um, why that point was important. But again, I, I, I think AI is really, is really going to be important to the lending space, just maybe not on decisioning or, um, making final eligibility criteria and such, but you know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. I think there's a lot there. Um, I think there's a whole lot in the mortgage space that AI can do in terms of workflow and how you queue up tasks, your people and automate certain things combined with some of the other technologies on the low code piece. I think you mentioned some names, um, and, we see a lot of use of Salesforce in the federal space, um, but not necessarily uh, as much as you could use it for. And when I think about an originator, I think the classic tech choice should be use a low-code platform with workflow automation um, and bolt on all of your different engines, be it compliance, pricing, um, decisioning to that, but, but that's a massive undertaking, um, for most companies in the lending space. And so it's been, it's been something that people see, but they haven't really, um, put enough time into grappling with it. Uh, there is one company in the LOS space in Sino that's leveraged that thought process. Uh, we'll see how it plays out, but, um, I think really, I think there's a lot more, uh, focus on, how to leverage tech, but we'll see how it plays out. I think when, when the market turns, some companies will come out of nowhere and surprise people. 
Well, I agree with everything you said, Matt. Uh, I think, you know, over the last uh, 15, 20 minutes, we've covered a lot of topics, you know, from the economy to uh, technology and so on. Uh, with all that said, what do you see new for Actualize in 2024? Yeah, again, I mean, I think the things that I want to reinforce is that a lot of things are staying the same. I mean, our focus on our customers and being excellent at what we do, um, our culture, those are all really key things to continue doing well and to leverage. Um, but in terms of uh, what's new, at least for the mortgage and fixed income piece, we are going to double down on the affordable housing space. We, we dipped our toes in the water a little bit in 23. We're going to launch some things on our uh, through our social media channels and and hopefully um, see some results there. I mean, what folks probably don't realize is just how much work we have in the affordable space, specifically the federal program, state level, and then some of the work that we've done in support of other entities in the in the mortgage finance space. Um, so that's one. I think we've got a real good. Uh, framework and method for our enterprise information management space. And again, we've been maturing it. I think we're going to really, really try to expand in that space um, as we, we enter um, and continue through 24. And what may be even more new is that our framework works well in our, in our housing space, but it also works well in other types of environments. And so we're, we're feeling around to see where we can bring this methodology and framework to the broader market. And then again, I think people have noticed that we've shifted focus a lot to the federal space and, and we, we've done well there. We have good active engagements with many of the, the federal housing entities and we want to continue that. And Again, it all kind of comes back to the same affordable focus and expertise in the mortgage industry. So, you know, I think for for the most part, it's it's a continuation of what we do well with with some expansion and some new ideas. So that's what we're going to try to do. Hopefully there's more more to come about all of that. And of course, you know, if folks need to get in touch with with Actualize, you can look at our website, you can contact me and, you know, just continue to keep an eye on what we're up to. So thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Actualizing Success. Make sure to visit us online at www.actualizeconsulting.com where you can explore our service offerings. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or your preferred platform. If you've enjoyed what we talked about today, please consider leaving a review and following us on LinkedIn. If you have any questions or would like to share your opinions with us, please send us a note at podcast at We look forward to hearing from you.